Welcome to episode 82 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and I'm delighted that you've joined me today for the conversation. Part 1, Initial Insight. Since listening to a Next Generation Catalyst podcast interview with Jennifer Conweiler, author of The Introverted Leader, Building on Your Quiet Strength, I've been thinking a lot about a term she used, communal solitude. It describes what I do a few times a week, which is working from a coffee shop because I've had enough solitude in my office for the day. I believe communal solitude is one way an introvert fills his or her social connection needs. For instance, whenever I work or hang out at a coffee shop by myself, I'm actually having micro interactions with the people around me. I'm making eye contact here and there, I'm sharing space at a table, making small talk with the barista, eavesdropping, people watching, and sometimes even seeing someone I know and exchanging a few pleasantries. It's just enough people time without any expectations of being social. Another way I view this concept of communal solitude is in the context of more personal relationships, when I am satisfied being alone together with someone, for instance, my husband or a really good friend. We don't have to be interacting, just each other's presence and the occasional connection or eye contact or a few words exchanged is enough. As I was thinking about this, I decided to ask the Introvert Entrepreneur Facebook community where they found communal solitude, and it was so fun to read the different ways that each person saw themselves as alone together with other people. Here are just a few things that they shared. Sharon mentioned a terrific insight that being on Facebook right now and responding to your question is another good communal solitude activity. James observed that maybe on a very low level, we're like the extroverts who feed off of the presence of others, only that we're not feeding off the talking, screaming, dancing people. Dawn lives in the city and says that for her, the burbs or the sticks drain me. The communal solitude of the city fills my soul, alone but never lonely. Philip finds it during work. He writes that, I was an engineer traveling around factories and offices in the UK. I usually visited two or three a day, and I would have to socialize with the customer, but I was still my own person in the crowd of workers. I used to love going in the coffee shops and street cafes of London. And finally, Julie tells us that my friends think I'm nuts because I joined the YMCA so I could work out on the treadmill with my headphones when I have a treadmill at home. I'm there for the same interaction you get at the coffee shop, but also the added bonus of pushing myself around others who are also working out. Clearly, communal solitude has a place in the life of a healthy social introvert. These micro-interactions can have a profound effect on our sense of connection and well-being. As another person shared, it's also a terrific transition tool to move from complete solitude to full-on socializing. So don't go just straight from your quiet office or home to a noisy networking event. Build in time to stop at a bookstore or coffee shop and get a small dose of micro-interactions to help ease yourself into more intense situations. And when you're feeling stuck, isolated, or overwhelmed, engaging in a bit of communal solitude might just be the trick to getting yourself back in the groove. Part 2. Shameless Self-Promotion 
After my guest today, Casey Lightbody, finished our official interview, she mentioned that she'd see me listed in the iTunes podcast category, Inspiring Women's Voices. It was a list iTunes put together in March in honor of Women's History Month, and it's still a category in the iTunes store. And here's the fun part. I had no idea my podcast was included. So Casey made my day. Actually, she made my month. And I'm happy to share that piece of good news with you. I know I wouldn't show up on any lists if it wasn't for my awesome guests and listeners. So thank you for being part of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast community. And I invite you to take a look at that Inspiring Women's Voices podcast list, because in addition to mine, there are about 50 others that are listed that are time well spent. And here's a bit of promotion for a colleague. Susan Kane, the author of Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, has just launched her new company, The Quiet Revolution. The website, quietrev.com, features dozens of profiles and posts about the quiet revolutionaries doing amazing work in the world. It's a gorgeous site, and it's full of fabulous content, including some from some other colleagues, including Sophia Dumbling and Val Nelson. And I invite you to check it out and join in the conversation happening at quietrev.com. Part three, the conversation. It's an honor to welcome to the podcast, introvert entrepreneur Casey Lightbody. Casey supports women with small voices but big dreams to step up and fulfill their extraordinary potential. She is the founder of the Empowered Women Revolution, an organization whose mission is to help sensitive and quiet women find their voices, rock their businesses, and love their lives. Well, hello, Casey. I am so happy to welcome you to the podcast today. Beth, thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Well, what is making you smile today? Beth, I'm sitting here and I'm looking out of my window at a bright blue sky and it's a beautiful sunny autumn day here in Brisbane. It's about 24 degrees, which I think in your language is about 75 Fahrenheit. Oh, nice. (laughs) And it's just gorgeous. I'm so grateful and, you know, happy that we decided to immigrate eight years ago to Brisbane. You know, I'm a real summer outdoorsy beach kind of girl. So so this kind of weather makes me happy every day, which is fantastic. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Well, it's kind of funny because, yeah, we're like half a world apart, but we here are having about a 75 degree and sunny day and of course we're you know getting ready for summer so it's it's kind of ironic that we're experiencing exactly the same weather on 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 march 21st here and march 22nd or may 21st here may 22nd there that's right i wish our winters were 75 and sunny Oh, I know, I know. Well, after 12 years of wet, grey, dreary English winters, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so, I'm done with this. And so, yeah, I really, I'm just grateful every day that we we made that decision. (laughs) Well, congratulations on that. Thanks, thanks. It's great. I'd I'd like to start by hearing a little bit about where you fall, where do you see yourself falling on the introvert-extrovert spectrum, and how that awareness has influenced you as an entrepreneur? Well, Beth, I think, you know, looking back, I really was probably more extroverted in my younger years. You know, I think back to those times and, I, you know, I was always surrounded by lots of friends. Um, I had people around me. In fact, I needed to be around people 
all the time at, at university and at school. And I remember clearly loving when it was my birthday coming around because it was my time to kind of be the center of attention and, and have everybody around. And, and it was great, you know. But I think as I've got older, I've definitely become more and more introverted. And I don't know whether it's as a result of having children or just as you get older. Um, but I think these days I really, really need my alone time, you know. it's I actually get really cranky if I don't get that alone time. <laughs> and the other thing is that more and more I've realized how much I really value, rather than having loads of friends, I think I really value having that deep connection and really creating meaning relationships with just a few people. So um, so I think definitely on the scale, I'm tending towards more introversion rather than extroversion. And I think that's just been really as a result of becoming more and more self-aware. I mean, as you know, uh, all of us entrepreneurs are on not only a business development journey, but on such a personal journey too, um, Beth, I think. And so as I've become more and more aware, I've, you know, recognized me for who I am and really started to embrace these whole introversion skills that I have. So... I think in terms of the awareness and how that's influenced me as an entrepreneur, I think the one thing that I've recognized is that I'm much, much better at developing intimate, deep quality relationships mm. rather than having, as I mentioned, those really, you know, kind of many but more superficial relationships. So I've really focused my attention in terms of building my business on networking one-on-one -on -one rather than, you know, in big groups and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether that was intentional or whether it was, you know, or strategic, but it's definitely something where it's my comfort zone. So it's where I've sat best. Mm -hmm. And when I was reflecting back on this, Beth, it was interesting because I've been in my business four or five years now. And I've just held an online summit, which was a global online summit. And we got some amazing guests, speakers. And one of those speakers was Amy Porterfield. And now Amy, as you know, has really high profile and she's got a massive following. And me being able to have Amy as a guest on the summit was really as a result of me focusing on developing a really deep friendship with her over many years, you know. So that's mm -hmm. definitely been focusing on that has been very successful for me in my business. I think the second thing that, that's really helped me, Beth, is knowing my strengths now as an introvert, I've really started to craft my service offerings around that. So instead of actually thinking, okay, I'm going to be offering really large group workshops, for example, because I know I'm really good at one-on-one, -on -one, I offer a one-on-one -on -one service to clients. Or alternatively, I like little small intimate kind of fireside Groups. So I have what uh, Tara Gentili calls it. it's a living room strategy and I actually have people to my home and we, we run little workshops. So it's all those kind of things that I think have really helped me hone how I develop my business going forward and really embrace the introverted skills that I have. Yeah, you've really demonstrated, it sounds like you're really demonstrating and living the power of having that self-awareness and being able to craft things according to your own strengths and preferences as opposed to what you see other people doing. You are learning from Tara Gentili, but you're not necessarily trying to copy what she's doing because you have a different style and you have a different clientele. Absolutely, absolutely, Beth. Yes, for sure. And there are two things that I think are also very powerful that you said, which was that as entrepreneurs, it's not just a, a business journey, it's a personal journey. You know, there are a few things <laughs> that will cause you to look yourself right in the face <laughs> and see absolutely, who absolutely. you really are, <laughs> you know, and you either grow to meet the demands or, you know, who knows. But I appreciate that reminder that it really is a personal discovery process when you're an entrepreneur. 
The other thing you said that really resonates with me, and I think it will resonate with a lot of listeners, is your piece about the comfort zone. I love that you said one-on-one is within my comfort zone, and that's where I do my best. And so that's what I focus on. I feel rebellious against all the messages we get about step outside your comfort zone. You know, nothing good happens in your comfort zone. And I think our comfort zone is there for a purpose, and it's there for a reason. And if there's something in there that gives us strength and that gives us courage and enables us to reach out and do what we need to do, and especially to do it in our own way, then go for it. You know, I'm tired of everyone demonizing comfort zones. And so I'm Mm. so appreciating how you framed that and how you specifically called that out to say, yeah, I figured out what my comfort zone was and I've made it work for me. So it's not a limitation that you're working within it, but rather a strength. Absolutely, Beth. I I wholeheartedly agree with that. You know, as I said, in terms of me initially starting, I don't think it was intentional to start with, but it was really me being in my comfort zone. And as soon as I recognized that as as a strength, I could start embracing it in my business and really utilizing it to the best of my ability. So yes, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, um, And really use it as a unique strength. You know, it's something that you can really live with to grow your business so just such an important part and I I love what you're saying around that whole comfort zone because it is there for a reason it's it's there for you to grow in and then you can start taking baby steps out of your comfort zone or your comfort zone actually starts to widen probably the more that you start getting out to business you know exactly I think it expands that's right and there's nothing wrong with that you know I mean isn't that part of the goal of like whenever we push ourselves we're we're pushing ourselves into places that are uncomfortable for the purpose in some ways of eventually making them more comfortable. Absolutely. And so in that regard, they become more of our comfort zone, but our comfort zone is expanded. So that's the way I prefer to think of it. I love it. And I'm in 100% agreement with you on that one. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I want to, you know, you have two identities online. At least two. Okay, two that I know of. And I'd like to touch on both of them because I think you've got some valuable insights and information to share with everyone. And I want to start with the first one, which is cloud marketing services. It's a wonderful service that you offer. And you recently wrote a blog post about asking for referrals. And this is a point that's come up in conversations with my clients and colleagues and in my own head that we know it's important but we don't quite know how to go about it. Or even we know how to go about it, but there's still something, speaking of comfort and discomfort, there's something uncomfortable about it. And in this post, you share a really wonderful statistic. You look to, um, there's a US branding company called Hinge Marketing, and they found that while 69% of clients would be willing to refer their service providers, 72% of those never actually do. So 69% would be willing, but 72% of those 69% never do. Mm. So what's up with that? (laughs) And how can we tap into that 69%, especially if we have a lot of discomfort with the referral process? First of all, everyone needs to check out Hinge Marketing. I absolutely love, love their research, actually. It's just, um, it's a great resource, especially for professional service providers. So I, I, I refer to their research all the time and, and I really love it. So that's the first point. And I think the important thing to understand here, I think, is why businesses actually get referred in the first place. I think that's a really important part to start understanding and really identifying that actually experience-based referrals, which is the traditional method where referrals come directly from people who've had direct experience working with your firm is just one source 
of referrals. So it's interesting with Hinge that um, they talk about another couple of referral sources. And the other two are reputation-based referrals and expertise-based referrals. So I think it's really important to think of all the sources of where your referrals are coming from to start off with when you're trying to increase the number of referrals to your business, you know. So as I mentioned, that the experience-based referrals is really the traditional method. It's where your referrals come from with people who have worked directly with your firm. And as you mentioned, 69% of those clients are willing to make referrals, but far fewer, what was the number? 72%, I think, right. you mentioned, yes. actually do. Actually, 72% do not. Do not. So that, so that means that only 28% of those 69% actually do make referrals. Actually make referrals. Right. That's right. Which is, it's a huge number, you know. So Hinge actually dug deeper to really understand why clients aren't referring them. And interestingly, which I thought was really phenomenal, was that what came back in that research is that no one was actually asking about their service providers. Hmm. So that was a really interesting point to me. So not only were we not asking, you know, from an introverted, self-promotion averse kind of perspective where we may be not asking clients for referrals, well, it's actually one of the big reasons is that clients actually have got no opportunity to refer because no one's asking. Oh, Okay. About who the, who the service providers are, are, are using. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one important piece to think about is really there's an opportunity to get referrals from other sources, not just from clients. So think about that when you are building your business is that what are the other ways that you can really start to leverage either reputation-based referrals? So those are typically where people who haven't worked with you directly, they might have just heard about your general reputation or they may know someone that potentially has worked with you or as a a work colleague or something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think from a reputation-based referral perspective, this is where customer service becomes really important. Mm -hmm. And as an introverted business owner, customer service is I think we're really great customer service, personally, <laughs> because I think we're such great listeners yeah. and we really are perceptive. So I think we can really get to know our customers intimately to be able to really serve them to the best of our abilities. So I think that's just to really leverage, again, an introverted skill and really provide the best customer service possible is really going to boost your referrals from a reputation point of view. Because, again, giving great customer service, then, of course, everybody's going to be raving about you. Word of mouth then becomes really, really effective. So I think that's one key takeaway is thinking about how you can actually just provide great customer service in your business and get people talking about your business that way. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is this whole idea of expertise-based referrals. So this is where people become aware of your business or that you actually specialize in a specific industry or you offer a specific type of service, but they may not actually know about you. And this is where this whole idea of expertise-based referrals can be a really effective means of getting on potential clients' radar. So oftentimes here is that it's driven by content. So content marketing becomes really important. So again, with Hinge, when they conducted their research and they said, what are the sources of expertise-based referrals? The sources were things like, I found you in an online search, or they had a really impressive website, or they'd received lots of positive online reviews, or they'd read a blog post that you'd written, you know, something like that. So I think that's really important as well. So instead of just looking at that 69% statistic, Beth, I think it's really important to consider where all your referral sources are coming from. 
figure out where they're coming from and then start to nurture them. You know, So look at what organizations or influencers are driving the most referrals and then get to start cultivating those relationships. And again, we as introverts are really good at developing these relationships and really developing meaningful one-on-one relationships. That's where I think I tend to focus, especially with my marketing agency. I focus on, again, developing really meaningful one-on-one relationships because when you're front and center one-on-one with per- with people, you stay top of mind, right? So uh-huh. it's it's then easy for them, if, if they do get an inquiry, to actually mention you. So I think that's a great way of nurturing your referral sources and then letting them know that you actually want referrals. And again, this can be quite hard, I think, <laughs> as self-promotion averse people. But I tend to say to clients and for myself, it's just generally keeping it natural in the conversation, you know. So at the end of the project, if we've worked really well together, I'll close out the conversation and then just naturally lead into the referral conversation saying, you know, it's been fantastic working with you and and do you know of anyone that needs this kind of help? Or, you know, if that makes you feel really uncomfortable, then an email is the next best thing, I think. So, Mm. and then another thing is actually really showcasing your referral sources. I, I love this idea because if you actually showcase your referral sources perhaps on your website or through case studies or testimonials or something like that people generally tend to then seek out those people and ask about your business so that's a great way of creating social proof of your expertise and then prospects may potentially ask them about you and your business you know nice and then i think the last thing and this relates back to service providers not being your clients not being asked about your services and i think it's really really important to be clear and make sure that prospects understand exactly how you can help them. <laughs> I think this is this is where a lot of businesses fall down, is that sometimes clients will work with you on one specific area, but they won't actually know the range of services that you offer. Or you may not really be clear in your positioning statements as to exactly who you're serving, who's the type of person that will be your ideal client. So it's really, really important to get really clear on what do you do, who do you do it for, What problems do you solve? And be able to communicate that really effectively. Nice. What you're sharing here is backing up and bolstering my um, stance on being very clear on your niche, you know, your target market, because you have to, I believe it's Tom Peters that has a quote that says, be distinct or be extinct. Love it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's pretty much in a nutshell. And so, you know, you will be extinct if you aren't able to be found and if people don't know how to talk about you or what makes you different. Absolutely. Yeah. It's such a, such an important thing and oftentimes gets so lost, you know, and it's hard, you know, when you're building a business and there's all these moving parts, but really when I work with clients, Beth, that's the number one thing that we focus on is really getting clear on your message and your positioning, you know? Absolutely. Well, knowing that the specifics vary with the type of business that someone has, what general advice do you have for the introvert who wants to stand out and be seen and heard, particularly online, but doesn't want to shout? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So I think the one thing that I've learned in business is that, and we mentioned it at the, at the top of the show, is that really use your natural introverted skills in your business. You know, I think as introverts, we are incredibly perceptive, we're sensitive, and we're also great, great listeners. And, you know, in such a noisy world, this is an incredible skill to have because it just means that you can really hone in and listen to what's most important to your prospects or clients and really understand what their challenges are, where they're stuck. And that means 
that by listening, you can really start to, to develop those products or services or programs that are really going to be ideally suited for them. So my number one tip is really just embrace your natural skills. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is your natural strengths as well. So where I mentioned that I'm really good at one-on-one conversations and developing that is that that's how I started to hone my business. So to develop a business model that really matches your unique strengths is really, really important. Um, The other thing is getting clear on how you want to connect with people. So business is all about relationships and connection. And I think that's another thing, I mentioned it briefly before, is that when have you, like, start to think of the questions of when have you felt most persuasive? Like, what conditions do you need to be most persuasive? Again, this is from Tara Gentili and what I learned from her awesome book. It's called The Quiet Power Strategy, and I, I just love that book as well. And and really, it's about focusing on how best you can start connecting with people. You know, sometimes people are great introverts are great on stage and they and they like connecting with people that way and I know you speak as well Beth so it's you know if that's a way that you are comfortable with getting out and being seen and heard then embrace that as well so I think that's a great tip and then the last thing is actually just speaking your truth so I'm all around authenticity and really just speaking from the heart being really heartfelt about what you're trying to do in your business and who you're trying to serve and how you're trying to help. And I think these days, more than ever, people are really resonating with the person, the person and not the brand. So I think it's really important to find the courage as well, even as an introvert, to really share your experiences, your uniqueness, your personality and that kind of thing online. Because I think the more that you can do that, the more people can actually resonate with you personally. I have so personally experienced that. I've noticed when I post on Facebook, for instance, I share something that's like a personal anecdote or a story. Like this just happened to me the other day. Here's what I'm thinking about it. What do you think? Those get the most engagement. It's incredible, right? yeah, Yeah. You know, if I post something that's more generic, it will get some engagement. But when it's something that is personal, that reveals something about me and that resonates with them, then it's like somebody lit a match, you know, and... And boom, it goes off. That's right. And the online world is so noisy, um, Beth, you know, that I think it's really important. Really, the only way to stand out these days is to, to be you, you know, mm-hmm. to really embrace embrace yourself and, and and then to actually have the courage to share that. And that is a bit scary for us introverts or maybe just the shy introverts. But <laughs> <laughs> it might be where shyness might kick in or, or, or just exactly. a, a fierce sense of privacy. That's right. You know, especially these days, I think we feel like so much is exposed. Yeah, I mean, I was just hearing on the radio a story about a video that's gone viral of a mother basically publicly shaming her daughter. It's it's almost like we've crossed a line past vulnerability into, I don't know what it is, you know, just mm-hmm. <laughs> too mm-hmm. much. And I think sometimes that causes us to recoil and, and go to the other extreme of like, well, I'm not saying anything because other people are doing too much. And so it really is important to find that balance for you of what you feel comfortable Again, you know, there's the comfort thing, but, you know, where can you feel comfortable being vulnerable? Absolutely. I, I love that how you've put that. I think that's really key, Beth. Well, well, thank you for those insights. And I have a feeling that what you've been sharing is going to dovetail into my next set of questions that's around your other presence online in business, which is the empowered woman revolution. Yes. Um, who is it for? And what's the vision that you have behind it? Well, Beth, this is real, really my passion project. I call it my calling, and it's been something that I've been working on for a couple of years. And really, it really originated from my own personal 
journey. You know, I've alluded to that a little bit during our interview now. And really, my my vision for the Empowered Women Revolution is really for it to be a movement for quiet women. You know, those women with really small voices but big dreams. And it's for those like really quiet, shy, sensitive women who I feel are stuck on the sidelines of entrepreneurial success. You know, they're too afraid to be seen and heard. And so really for me, the vision for Empowered Women Revolution is to inspire those women to really unlock the power of their own voices through connection, collaboration and community. So that's absolutely huge for me um, because I honestly believe that every woman, and I've again mentioned this, has a unique gift to share with the with the world I, I honestly believe that and I also believe in a philosophy of being deeply committed to helping each other and causing action to create positive change in the world I think us women with small voices but big dreams we've got such a deep desire to create positive change in the world that I really believe that by coming together to supporting each other in creating more influence and reach um is going to really make the biggest difference, you know. So that's really what I'm trying to build with Empowered Women Revolution. We've got an amazing community. And I think together, and the saying always resonates with me, it's the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So through collaboration, I really think that all of us quiet women would be more empowered, more powerful, and more effective in creating positive change in the world if we come together. So for me, that's what Empowered Women Revolution is all about. As I said, it's my passion project. I, I just, I'm, I'm just so passionate about helping quiet women really find their voices to get out in the world and really come together to collaborate and connect with each other to push each other forward. So nice. So that's what I'm all about. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. And, you know, as I was looking at your information and learning more about it, of course, I was drawn to a particular blog post <laughs> that was titled Five Ways to Build a Potent Personal Brand even if you're an introvert. Mm. And again, this seems like it ties back to our, our conversation earlier about what is your unique offering? You know, how can you stand out and be distinct? In that post, you shared five ways to build that personal brand. Can you share a couple of those five ways that we can take action on now to build our personal brand? Yes, absolutely, Beth. Well, like, like we chatted about earlier, you know, I think it's really important in such a noisy world, um, especially in the online space, is that personal branding is becoming more and more important. It's really about identifying, as you mentioned, identifying and then communicating what makes you unique and relevant and differentiated for your target audience so that you can reach your goals. So it's really, again, important to understand what your strengths are, what your skills are, what your passions are, what your values are, and really embracing those and really stand out so I think that's that's a really important point again just to reiterate that it becomes really powerful because it sends a clear consistent message about who you are and really what you have to offer I think uh, Beth so uh, so I can't kind of reiterate again how important personal branding is I think this is ideal for us really because I think we can really leverage the power of social media for an example to really boost our personal brand. So the one thing that I've used and what I recommend for my clients is to, you can actually start 
building those relationships and creating relationships and communicating your message from really <laughs> behind the safety of your, your, your computer screen, which, yes. which for me, it's great for me. And really, I think, again, we come back to getting really clear on your positioning statement, how you want it, what's your unique point of view, and then you can start connecting with people online. So for me, I mean, just as an example, I moved to Brisbane. I mentioned that eight years ago, Beth, and had never been to Australia before, I'd never been to Brisbane. I knew the sum total of two people when I, when I moved to Brisbane. I just literally wow. had no, no network whatsoever, you know. Mm-hmm. And really, when I dove into the online space and recognized that one of my strengths was one-on-one connection, I started reaching out. So I leveraged LinkedIn to start building one-on-one relationships. So I could actually search that amazing database for people that were like-minded, um, that were perhaps good strategic alliances and I started building relationships like that and then the more the braver I got I guess I started really leveraging Facebook groups as well so Facebook groups again it's it's a group if you can find the right groups it is a safe space where you can start connecting socially with like-minded people so really leveraging social media I think is one of the first things to point out in terms of building your personal brand the other thing is how important content marketing is so I think this is the next thing that I think we as introverted entrepreneurs is to focus on is really focusing again on your strengths. If you're great at writing, then start blogging, you know, like that's a great way to start building your personal brand online. I think really embracing what you're good at in terms of creating content is a key point to make. And then the last thing I would say again is coming back to leveraging your strengths is speaking about your expertise is, is actually really important. Um, and for me, again, public speaking, I'd rather be dead than, than public speak, you know. <laughs> It's just like, oh my God, I'm not going there, you know? Yeah. Having said that, I've pushed my comfort zone out and managed to speak in front of 100 people. But having said that, it's not something that I really love, you know? Mm -hmm. So I looked at, okay, well, how can I get my brand out to many more people? You know, I love the one-on-one connection, but I need to boost my personal brand. And so I really looked at that and really looked at, okay, well, how can I do this best and to the best of my ability and leveraging my strengths, and which is why I held the online summit, uh, Beth. So for me, that was one-on-one connection with guest speakers, and yet I was able to get it up to thousands of women online, but it wasn't me standing up on stage and feeling really self-promoting, you know? So it was really, for me, one of the big things around building my personal brand was just, again, leveraging my strengths around that and looking at alternate ways to get your message out. Nice. Thank you for sharing those. And I do encourage anyone listening to go and read the full blog post if you want to get all five of the ways and have a chance to reflect more on what you've just shared here. So thank you for that. Um, So I want to wrap up with a, a question that I ask all of my guests. And that is, if you were granted a three week vacation on Introvert Island, and you could only take three books with you, what would you take with you and why? Hmm, I've been thinking about this because I'm a bit of a bookworm and I love my books. Of course, <laughs> so of I course. To, and I think the first one, one that stands out for me most is Brene Brown's Gifts of Imperfection. I absolutely love, love, love Brene Brown, love all her work, in fact. But the one that, you know, the Gifts of Imperfection really resonated with me, Beth, around really teaching me, you know, really to embrace those those gifts of courage and compassion and connection. Those are deep values for me. So it was really, you know, it really resonated with me, but it also kind of gave me permission through the book to let go of so much stuff, you know, in terms of 
letting go of what people think, letting go of perfectionism, letting go of the need for certainty, letting go of the need for always being in control, which I think sometimes is probably quite common with introverts. You know, we like to plan, we like to be in control. I'm, I'm not very spontaneous, you know. So I think that's the one book. The next book is Jeff Olson's The Slight Edge. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. I, I don't know how well known this one is, but a friend of mine recommended this book and it was just fantastic because his headline for his book is Be a Little better today than you were yesterday repeat and I love that <laughs> nice. and then the last one is any <laughs> you'll love this any kind of chiclet so uh-huh. I'm just like I love a good love story something that I can just unwind on the beach and just you know get lost in the story and forget and switch off and I just love that kind of thing yeah we can't just be reading business books and serious stuff all the time we have to you know there, there's so much value in being able to kind of get out of ourselves and get lost in somebody else's story so true so true well what is the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about you and the services that you offer through both cloud marketing services and empowered women revolution thanks beth so with cloud marketing services it's www.cloudmarketingservices.com.au and then with empowered women revolution that is www.empoweredwomen which is enrevolution.com and um, so you can download the manifesto and find out what the, what the movement's all about um, just directly from the website there. Terrific. And I'm sure that everyone can find your social media connections through either of those sites. But um, just for our purposes, are you particularly active on any particular platform that we can make sure we follow you? Yes. So Facebook is my uh, social media of choice. So uh, you'll be able to find me on Casey Lightbody or Cloud Marketing Services or Empowered Women Revolution there. Excellent. So there's three identities before we sit. Correct. We've, we have to remember Casey is also. Casey. That's right. That's me, my personal brand, right? That's your personal brand. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I so appreciate what you've shared with us today and your passion just really shines through and how much you clearly love what you do and the message that you're sharing. So thank you for contributing your gifts to us and to the world. Beth, thank you so much. It's been my absolute pleasure and I've thoroughly enjoyed every moment. So thanks again. Part four. Final reflection. My biggest takeaway from the conversation was about how to work within our comfort zones, or as I also like to call them, our capacity zones, to achieve our goals. Because really, isn't the goal always to be expanding what's possible? And as we learn new skills and adopt new habits, we're most often going to become more comfortable with them. So what's wrong with that? Nothing, I say. This is not to suggest that we should avoid things that bring us fear or discomfort. Those things are just part of life and growth and becoming who we're meant to be. It's simply time that we stop shaming the comfort zone space and see it as a launching pad for new experiences, as well as a safe haven for when we need to recharge our batteries. We need a balance of dwelling in comfort and then using the energy we gain from that time to expand into adventures that stretch our hearts, minds, and businesses. Thanks for joining Casey and me for the conversation. If you want to make sure you're always informed of new episodes, subscribe through iTunes. And if you enjoy this podcast and the value it brings you, I invite you to leave a review on iTunes. A note of gratitude to Paul Messing, podcast producer, and to you, the listener, for making this podcast possible. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur, and until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job.